So we're continuing Appendix C. And last time that we were learning this, we had gotten up to page 621. And he was talking about the nature of the relationship between Israel being perceived as the center of the universe. Now the international dateline, by definition, then being, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, around somewhere around China, basically. Okay. So now what we're going to describe is, I guess, in point number nine, the relationship between Eretz Yisrael and China. According to the Oksar Nachmad commentary, the rabbi takes this one step further, having two points instead of one, one to determine the starting point for the first time zone, and the other for determining the international dateline, is necessary for the international dateline to make any sense. It is illogical for an international dateline to be placed indiscriminately, somewhere in the middle of the globe, where it will still be east of some places and west of others. There has to be some point which is absolutely east and another point at some distance which is absolutely west. The point which is absolutely east, Eretz Yisrael, is the starting point for the progression of daylight and days and the delineation for the first time zone. The point which is absolutely west, China, is the westernmost point in the sun's path, making it the international dateline. Now the problem, of course, is why? Why was this necessary? Like, why do you have to have these two points? It doesn't seem to be requisite and we don't have that today, right? So, so what is this point? There are difficulties with explanation. What is that? According to the original Arabic text, the rabbi states that the two points are close by, a text that the Otsar Nachmad did not seem to have. Yet the distance between Eretz Yisrael and China spans a quarter of the globe. Another is that it's hard to understand the necessity of these two points, especially in view of the fact that the world today seems to function well enough with only one point, the international dateline in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. So the Chazonish, Rabbi Avram Yeshayahu of Karelitz, 1878 to 1953, explained the Guzari differently. He viewed the rabbi as merely addressing a historical issue. Where was the first Shabbos halachically existed? This is a fascinating idea. While it is true that the astronomical day begins in China before it begins in Eretz Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael nevertheless has the distinction that the very first halachic Shabbos was observed in Eretz Yisrael. That is, had a Jew been in China during the very first Shabbos in Eretz Yisrael, he would not have experienced the sanctity of Shabbos, nor would he have had the mitzvah of observing Shabbos, because the reality of Shabbos did not yet exist in China until the following Shabbos. Okay? So if the world was created starting with the point of Israel, as being the first part of Ethan Eden as being the first part, but now Israel takes over as our starting point, so to speak. So it, the, the end of the world is not created until after the first part of the world is created. So when Shabbos comes in in Israel, it's not yet Shabbos in China. That's specifically for the very first time. It doesn't necessarily have to have, to have impact for forever. Forever, actually, China can have exactly the same time period as, as, as Israel, right? In other words, when we're trying to figure out where that international dateline exists. So there's going to be some point as we travel west across the globe that it will be Friday afternoon, and then all of a sudden it'll be past a certain line. All of a sudden it's going to be Shabbos afternoon. We have to know where that point is because you can't travel across that point. You have to know where that point is because if you find yourself in that region, then you're going to have to keep Shabbos a different day. Now, there's going to be many different opinions, and there's opinions that are in between. In other words, there are places where everyone agrees it is clearly still the earlier day. There are places where everyone agrees it's clearly the later day. And then in between, there's a multiple opinions. And what people will do in those places is they will treat it as if it's a doubt. And since it's a doubt, when it comes to questions regarding laws that are directly related, directly based on the Torah, the written Torah itself, the oral Torah. In other words, the ones that we say the, that come directly from the Torah and are not of rabbinic origin, 
So those laws we are stringent whenever there's a doubt. When it comes to laws that are of rabbinic origin, we can be lenient when there is a doubt. So people will do today if they find themselves in Hawaii over Shabbos, which is one of the places that is in doubt as to what its status is. What people will do is they will actually keep Shabbos on the for the Torah level, they will keep Shabbos both days. But for the rabbinic level, they will only keep Shabbos one of those days. And for rabbinic laws, they won't necessarily be as careful on the other day. Okay? So, like this. This has been the historical reality since creation. When the second Shabbos was observed in Eretz Yisrael, the first Shabbos was observed in China, albeit starting six hours before the Shabbos in Eretz Yisrael. When the third Shabbos was observed in Eretz Yisrael, the second Shabbos is observed in China, and so on. In this sense, observed the Chazimish. Eretz Yisrael has the distinction of being the easternmost land. And the starting point for halachic days vis-a-vis Shabbos observance, even though the date line is still in China. So does it really have a practical difference today? Not really, right? The only question is, which one was the historically, which was the first Shabbos? So if you're trying to figure out how many Shabbosos have been kept in Israel since the beginning of time, so you're going to kind of move with one more day than anything past the international date. Well, the Chazanish interpretation seems easier to comprehend and obviates the need to create a single time zone from China to Eretz Israel. There are those who find it difficult to reconcile the text of the Chazanish. Okay, so um, he, he then goes through another two possibilities. Another two possibilities of how to explain what's happening over here. So let's skip to 10, okay? Point number 10, determining the molad. The Jewish calendar is lunar. It gauges the length of the months and years based on the phases of the moon instead of on the rotation of the earth in relation to the sun. The new moon begins with the first phase of the new moon. I'm sorry, the new month begins with the first phase of the new moon. When the Sanhedrin, the ancient Jewish high court, was in session, it would declare Rosh Chodesh, the start of the month, when two witnesses would testify that they had seen the first phase of the new moon. In the absence of the Sanhedrin, the Talmudic sages used a system known as Sod Ha'ibor, the science of fixing the calendar. Using mathematical calculations, they devised the system to determine the exact moment when the first phase of the new moon begins. At this moment, the moon is exactly between the earth and the sun, and thus what we see is the dark side of the moon. This moment is called the molad, or birth of the new moon. To this day, we use the molad to determine when the first day of Tishrei occurs, which is the first day of the Jewish calendar year. Whichever day it is in Eretz Yisrael, when the molad occurs, will determine the date for Rosh Hashanah. Now, why is he saying specifically for the first day of Tishrei and not for the other days? Because we have a system in place to ensure that there are certain days of the year, uh, certain um, you know, days of the Hebrew calendar that can't fall out on certain days of the year. Okay? Since we have that system in place, sometimes it will not be completely based on the specific length of time of the month because the month, the lunar cycle is 29 days and a little bit more than a half a day. Okay? So therefore, anyways, you're never going to be exactly, you can't say it's 29 and a half days. What do you do? You start the new month in the middle of the day. That doesn't make any sense, right? You have to have a specific time period. So we start the new, the new month at nighttime because nighttime is the beginning of the day in Judaism, right? That's considered to be the next halachic day. So when we do that, some months are going to be 29-day months, some months are going to be 30-day months, and then altogether it ends up working out. So when they make the determination, it's not just based on how far behind they've gotten and now we're trying to catch up. It's also based on trying to ensure that certain days fall out on certain days of the week. So the only day that is specifically dependent on the Molad is only the first day of Tishrei, the beginning of the Jewish calendar. 
There's an obvious difference between the way we determine the new month using the molot and the method utilized by the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were not declare the new month until witnesses had actually seen the first phase of the new moon. This was typically 24 hours after the molot, since at the exact moment of the molot, the earth, the moon is still completely invisible. And it takes at least 24 hours for the first phase of the moon to become visible to the naked eye. Therefore, Rosh Chodesh, the new moon, today is usually a day earlier than it would have been under the Sanhedrin. So if you, if you go to Shul, the week before Rosh Chodesh, we have something called Bir Chodesh, right? And what will happen is, the, before Mosef, the Chazin will get up in Shul, or, the, or sometimes the rabbi will get up in Shul and will make an announcement. The announcement will be the Molad for this upcoming month, and then he will say a specific time, sometimes in Yiddish, sometimes in Hebrew, sometimes in English, and it will say exactly how many hours into the day, what day of the week, how many hours into the day, and how many seconds or Chalakim, which are not exactly seconds, seconds into the into the hour, the new moon will first appear. But like we said over here, it doesn't actually mean the new moon appearing. It means what would be if we were able to see it if it wasn't actually directly in between the sun and the earth, and therefore there's no reflection to us. The old Molad. Although we mentioned above that the Molad determines Rosh Chodesh, there are some exceptions. According to the Talmud, one of the rules of Soda Iber is that if the molad occurs before noon, we may be assured that the moon will be seen before sunset. The statement is explained by the rabbi as follows. We follow the molad as the determinant for Rosh Chodesh only if in some place in the world, the first phase of the moon will actually be visible to the naked eye on that day. So molad is never going to be the determinant unless it actually will be visible at some point on the globe that day. Thus, if the molad occurs on the Sabbath in Eretz Yisrael, even though the moon will not be visible in Eretz Yisrael on that day, since the molad is not visible for at least 24 hours, it will still have to be visible somewhere else in the world, west of Eretz Yisrael, on the Sabbath of that locality in order for Rosh Chodesh to fall on that Sabbath. Well, how do you define what's on the same day? That's going to be also very much dependent on what do we consider the international dateline. China is the westernmost point in relation to Eretz Yisrael and is subsequently the area which has the greatest time lag after Eretz Yisrael. As mentioned earlier, there's an 18-hour time difference between Eretz Yisrael and China. Talmud thus states that as long as the molad occurs before noon in Eretz Yisrael, we may be assured that the new phase of the moon will at least be visible in China on the same day as the molad occurred in Eretz Yisrael. For example, say the molad occurs at 11 a.m. in Eretz Yisrael on Shabbos. Since it takes 24 hours for the moon to be visible after the molad, it would have to be at least 11 a.m. on Sunday in Eretz Yisrael for the moon to be visible. When it is 11 a.m. on Sunday in Eretz Yisrael, it is 5 p.m. on the day of the Sabbath in China, approximately one hour before sunset. And therefore, we may declare that Rosh Chodesh falls on the Shabbos. If, however, the Molad occurs when it is 1 p.m. on the Shabbos in Eretz Yisrael, the moon will not be visible until 1 p.m. on Sunday in Eretz Yisrael. But by that time, it will be 7 p.m. in China, already past the time of sunset, and thus no longer part of the Sabbath day. When the Molad occurs afternoon in Eretz Yisrael, this is known as Molad Zakain, the old Molad. And in that event, Rosh Chodesh is pushed off to the following day. Okay. So that was the, the, the basic idea that of what Zari is trying to express with the international dateline and the, the differences. Um, and, and if you want to take it to the next level, the, the gradual level, then I think it really would, it would be interesting perhaps to spend some time looking at the, the different opinions and how that actually plays out today in terms of what's considered to be uh, you know, our time zone, the next time zone. What do you do when you find yourself in the middle? You said there were a few days that it's important that it doesn't occur on Shabbat. I didn't say Shabbat specifically. There, there are a few days that we don't want to occur on on, on specific other days. I, um, you, well, because like I said, like Purim, like isn't there an issue like with with Rosh Hashanah? They don't want you carrying a shofar. 
on yeah, Shabbat. So, but, but on Rosh Hashanah we have it. It does fall out on Shabbat. You just don't. You just don't blow the shofar. And yeah. I think was it Purim? They don't want you having to carry your Megillah for a reading or something. Am I? Do I have that wrong? I mean, yeah. So Purim is interesting though, because Purim we are. We're not saying that we're going to switch around when the day occurred. We're just going to push off the actual practices of Purim until the next day. In other oh, okay. words, I'll explain. So Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, there are certain days Yom Kippur can occur. I, I don't remember right now which days they are. There are certain days Yom Kippur cannot occur on. So that's, it's not that it's not going to be the 10th of Tishrei. Of course, it's going to be the 10th of Tishrei, right? So you can't say the 10th of Tishrei is not Yom Kippur. If it's the 10th of Tishrei, it is Yom Kippur. So we're going to have to play around with the organization beforehand, make sure that Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Hashanah in this case, is not, you know, not going to fall out in a way that Yom Kippur will fall out on one of those days, right? Typically, we don't have a fast day on, uh, on the Friday. So we're always going to try to make sure that there's not a fast day on Friday. And sometimes we'll move things around for that purpose. Sometimes we'll just say it becomes a, uh, a nidcha, right? So Tisha B'Av does not fall out on Shabbos, right? So if Tisha B'Av would fall out on Shabbos, if the ninth day of Av is on Shabbos, we don't fast until Sunday, okay? But Tisha B'Av never falls out on Friday. Now, how do we make sure it doesn't fall out on Friday? We're going to have to jigger it that way it won't fall out on Fridays, okay? Okay, take care, guys. We will have a great Shabbos.